Welcome to Myth versus Craft. Welcome to episode 15 of Myth vs. Craft. My guest today is the guitarist, singer, and songwriter Mato Nanji. Born and raised on the Yankton Sioux Reservation in South Dakota, Mato's love of music stemmed from listening to his father's extensive music collection. Mato's career got underway when he formed the band Indigenous with his brother, sister, and cousin. Though the original lineup disbanded in 2006, Mato carried on with the name and is still going strong. Indigenous has shared the stage with luminaries like B.B. King, Santana, Bonnie Raitt, and Jackson Brown, and Mateau has been a fixture on the Experience Hendrix tour since it started in 2002. On this tour, he's played with and earned the respect of guitar greats like Buddy Guy, Eric Johnson, Johnny Lang, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and many more. Mateau's soft-spoken nature belies the intensity and depth of his music and lyrics, which often include pointed commentary on conditions in Indian reservations and the fate of his Native American heritage. Let's start by listening to snippets from three of his songs. Thank you so much for for coming on the show. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. 
I understand that as a kid, you originally wanted to play the drums. How did you end up picking up the guitar instead? Well, when I was uh, when I was growing up, I was always really interested in drums, and then uh, we actually never had any. My dad was a guitar player, so that's kind of where I found his guitars and amps and everything down in our basement. So that's kind of kind of what I, I guess I wanted to play something. You know, I just didn't know, so <laughs> I was really young. So how old were you? I was probably around ten when I started to get interested, and then uh, probably when I got a little older, like. 15 years old or 16 years old is when I really got into you know, playing guitar and wanting to learn and started listening to music a lot more, you know? And uh, so, so yeah, it was, uh, I, I don't know what drew me to it, but I was just always interested <laughs> from, you know, as far back as I can remember. You grew up in South Dakota on the Yankton Sioux Reservation. What was the music yeah. scene like when you were growing up? Actually here, there's not really a music scene at all. Your father was in a band with his brothers, right? And uh, and I'm wondering if were they typically playing outside of the reservation? Uh yeah, actually, their their band was no, they didn't really play here. Uh, they had to travel to other states and other towns to you know do gigs, and, and they actually split up way before I was you know before I was born. So <laughs> so yeah, it was I never got to see them play or I never got to see them live or anything. But uh, really, what, oh yeah. man, what a shame. <laughs> so when I, whenever I was growing up, there wasn't really a music scene. So, and when I was growing up, I never even knew that my dad had a band, or you know, he was, used to travel around and play and all kinds of different bands. I, until you know, I, I started picking up music, and then I started hearing, you know, from him basically <laughs> that they used to do that. So, did you just see all this great equipment in the basement, and you just kind of figured that? I mean, it didn't intrigue you, and then one day you started digging into it, and then you started asking your dad, and then he started sharing yeah, with you what, yeah, what he, he had done? Yeah, once he found out I was interested in playing, then he started kind of talking about it a lot more, you know. It was really cool, because I, I never knew, you know, that he was a musician, and he knew all this, knew how to play pretty much all the instruments, you know, so, <laughs> so it was cool. As far as the music scene, there wasn't really one here growing up, it You'd have to go to like the bigger towns, which are about a hundred miles away from here, you know, and they'd have like festivals or different things going on in those towns to see like live music. So, is that still the case today? Pretty much, yeah. They they do have um, a casino here now in in the area on the reservation where they bring in like different different acts, and uh, a lot of times it's real. It's either a country country act or you know, maybe old classic rock band or cover bands or whatever. And, and that's kind of the music scene here, I guess, is, is more like that. So so whenever I was growing up listening to music, it was my dad's collection, which was, you know, a lot of the old, of course, a lot of the old rock and uh, a lot of the blues, you know, music is what I what I grew up listening to. And so that's kind of what drew me in growing up, too, is that hearing that kind of music, you know, a lot of R&B, you know, like Otis Redding and Sam Cooke, all that stuff really, you know, really drew me in. <laughs> I read that discovering Stevie Ray Vaughan had quite an impact on you. I've been speaking to a lot of guitar players of your generation, and I get the sense that listening to Stevie for the first time is kind of your generation's version of watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Because I have so many <laughs> yeah. guests point to like, I was doing this when I first heard Stevie Ray Vaughan and everything changed thereafter. Do you remember when you first heard him? Yeah, my my dad's actually the one that brought home the record because I I never 
you know, I never even heard of Stevie or anything. And, and plus, we're living out here on the res. It was really, you don't really get that much stuff back then, you know. And, of course, Internet was pretty much non-existent and cell phones and all that. And, you know, you could never, you know, really find anything like that. You know, so my dad went out and he, he bought the records because he, he must have heard of them somewhere. And he actually brought home, you know, a record of Lonnie Mack and a record of uh, Steve Ray Vaughan and brought them home. And that's kind of where I really heard it. And it, I thought it was just awesome. <laughs> you know, and growing up back then, the only other guitar players that I heard that kind of had that you know, what Stevie had was the first guitar player for Chicago was really a big influence on me. Terry Cass, the one that passed away. And then uh, Santana. And, of course, uh, you know, like all the, the blues guys were really big, like Freddie King and Albert King and all them guys really had a huge influence. And then, then I heard Stevie, and then, you know, I saw that he was, you know, listening to all them blues guys and bringing up the same kind of thing. So it was, it was really awesome. I mean, it was... And I never heard anything, especially growing up in kind of like during the 80s, when there wasn't really that kind of music going on as much. You know, I think, I think, well, I mean, I think they were doing it, but, you know, that just wasn't in the mainstream. So it was really cool to kind of hear somebody like Stevie or the Fabulous Thunderbirds, you know, his brother, Jimmy Vaughn, playing in that band. And, right. you know, just to hear those guys kind of, you know, bringing that music out there a little more was really cool. You formed Indigenous with your sister and cousin, I believe. How did you end up deciding to form a band together? Uh, I was actually, I I got started before them because I was the oldest, you know. I started on guitar and then uh, it was actually my dad and my mom idea for us to kind of become a band. So, And my dad knew I was interested, so he, he decided to get the, my brothers and my sister involved. So... <laughs> And he kind of picked out the instruments for everybody, and we just kind of they said, you know, sit and rehearse for about a good couple of years before we play, and that's what we wow. did. So, <laughs> so it was pretty intense rehearsals for for a good year or two before we actually went out and did our first show. So, <laughs> do you remember your first show? Uh yeah, it was actually here and uh, right on the reservation that where the casino is now. It used to be kind of like an old bingo hall, <laughs> so we. Uh, you know, we sat up there and we played pretty much just for all family members, and you know, it was, it was fun. <laughs> the very first show was probably back in like ninety, let's say probably ninety two or ninety three, and then after that is kind of when we started. Then we really started getting into you know playing together and rehearsing a lot more. So then we ended up, my dad ended up you know starting to book us out, you know, get us gigs around the area and stuff. So. And then after that, we found he he kind of got in touch with like a local, a kind of regional booking agents agency out in Nebraska, and that's kind of where we then we started. Just kept going from there, you know, just kept touring as much as we could, and he'd book us wherever he could, and we'd go out and play. So, <laughs> did you find yourself leaving South Dakota uh, like pretty early on, and just how far would you travel? Yeah, we'd have to go to like. He he was kind of like a regional guy, so he'd book us in like Minnesota and a few places, uh, you know, Iowa, um, Kansas, Missouri, and, you know, Colorado, and, you know, just kind of, hey, he knew a lot of places like, like in western South Dakota and eastern South Dakota and North Dakota, and so we we kind of just kind of toured around the area and just kind of built slowly, you know, and kind of 
And then uh, that's when we started working on the first record that we, the first national record that we put out, which was Things We Do, which was probably like in 96 or 97 is when we started re- recording that. And then, uh, you know, back then we just, you know, even then we we kind of did everything ourselves. We started recording the record and and then, uh, then actually a label out of Minnesota kind of noticed it and uh, they actually owned the studio that we was recording at. Then that's that's kind of how that got started. The name of the the, the label was Pachyderm, and then uh, they were kind of like a new label back then, and they were just getting started. So they wanted to sign us right away. So we, you know, we did a deal with them, and we got the record out. And that's when we uh, that's when we got the BB uh, King tour, which was going on. I think like every they just started doing it. Like the, it was called the BB King Blues Festival. I think I think it was, and then uh, then we were able to. Uh, Got a new agency, and you know we we got our new booking agent, and then uh, they actually got us on that tour, which was like sixty dates all over the country. So it was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, and we did, uh, and we tour did that tour. That was like our first huge, you know, kind of you know national tour. So it was really cool. And then uh, we we opened for uh, Tower of Power. We played Tower of Power and uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd and BB uh, King. On the tour, there was a few people that would come in and play, like Jimmy Bondage and Dates, Robert Cray, uh, Taj wow. Mahal. Yeah, so so it was pretty awesome. That was back in like '99, I believe, or something like that. That was right after Things We Do came out, so it's like in '98. So I was going to ask you about that tour because I could see it. I could see that being or standing out as a milestone and and validation of all your hard work up until that point. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Do you remember how you felt when you first when you first learned that you were going to be on that tour? It was it was awesome feeling. I mean, just a real honor to be there. And of course, you know, young kid, I was always nervous, but you know, it's just just, <laughs> it's just the way. I guess that just comes with it, you know. Once you start getting out there and getting going, you know, it's it's. Uh, but yeah, man, it's it was it's probably one of the highlights of. You know, all my years of touring was being able to see BB King every night. You know, and that, yeah. So, so it was awesome. That, of course, Kenny Wayne and Tower of Power, awesome band. You know, so. <laughs> At what point had you decided that this was what you wanted to do for a living? Well, that was kind of the thing too, as I never really, you know, never really thought about it. We just, you know, I don't think any of us did. I think we just got together and wanted to play music, and, and that's really what. It's always been about for me since the start. You know, I've always wanted to play music or make music, and and uh, even my dad, my dad from the beginning, he was like, "Well, you got to write your own songs and your own music." So that's basically how we started out. And once I started writing songs, I, I guess it kind of kicked in my head. Oh, yeah, well, I want to. You know, this is what I want to do <laughs> for the rest of my life. So, and I, I guess I, even now, I've never really thought about. It. Well, this is what I want to do for a living, you know. But <laughs> you just, just kind of, yeah, it just kind of, kind of all fell together that way, I guess. Which is, which is cool, you know. I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Did you find that being in a band with your with family members helped or hindered the work you wanted to do with the band? Uh, it was it was tough actually, to be honest. <laughs> it was really it was tough. I mean, you know, going from I mean, we we stuck together for about a good ten years, you know, which was really really good and we did some you know i think we did some good work together and but it was always you know it was always tough right from the start i mean i guess 
being so close, you know, and then uh, with each other and growing up together and made it kind of tough, you know. So, so now, I mean, I, I think we're, you know, I think everybody's cool and we just, uh, you know, we just decided to do different things and, and musically we were going in different directions too. So I, I think, uh, so I think it was a really good, it was a positive move, you know. <laughs> right. When the original band disbanded, uh, you carried on without them, but kept the band name. How did this change your approach to to how you ran things and, and to the music? I just, um, well, at, at the beginning, I, I was, you know, pretty much the main songwriter and, and the singer and everything. So I think kind of developed that sound, you know. As we moved along, you know, they they were kind of into different types of music and different kind of things. So, so I think it just felt natural for me to, to kind of keep that name and that image of the band going, you know. So it's because uh, the name matches, I, I felt matched the music that, you know, I was writing and singing at the time. Right. So I, I just felt like it was the right thing to keep it going, you know. <laughs> and what do you feel changed after after that transition? You know, it's kind of a scary thing making a real big change like that, but I, I, I felt good about it. And uh, moving in a whole new direction, you know, was like kind of refreshing. And I, I think the music was just, I think because I got a little older and learned more stuff and, and, and uh, try to incorporate more influences into the songs that I was writing. And, you know, as I was growing as a musician, still learning a lot more. You know, even now I'm still still learning and, even the new guitar player that I got with me now, I, I'm pretty positive he knows a lot more about the, <laughs> about the guitar than I do. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's it's great. I mean, it's, I've always just, you know, always wanted to learn and keep it going that way. And, and uh, I think it, you know, with every record or every CD that I've, that I've always wanted to do, I've always wanted, and, you know, I didn't want the records to sound the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so I always like, like to change it up as much as I could on each record, you know, on each CD. So. Let's talk about songwriting. Is songwriting easier now, or is it still the same as it's always been? For me, it's still the same. Uh, me and my wife, we've, we've been together for a long time, but we've been, you know, I, I think she really helped me out when we when we got together because she's a you know great songwriter, so... So a lot of a lot of times, I think that's where it changed too a little bit is when, you know, I started I was able to incorporate her her influence a little more and you know as far as singing and you know just doing melodies and different things that we you know when we work out songs and stuff and then uh, she kind of became my main songwriting partner since then you know so and we were already kind of writing stuff you know early on before the band broke up but we never really brought it forward so. And then now that kind of opened the door when we kind of split with the old band and, and started doing the new stuff. So it kind of opened a lot, you know, a lot of doors that way too for us to write and make the music that we want to make, you know. <laughs> I understand that she's uh, your lyricist. She she writes most of the lyrics. Yeah, she she writes a lot, and she actually writes a lot of the melodies too of the you know of how the songs go, you know, because a lot of times I'll come up with um, music and. Uh, it actually now it actually feels a lot easier to come up with ideas and songs, you know, because I think back when I was working with the old band, it was a little harder to kind of get together and really kind of 
work things out, you know, because it was tough. You know, <laughs> we're trying to work together, you know, everybody. But yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I would just come up with, you know, maybe a riff or even just a few chord progressions or something, you know. Maybe when I'm on the road or, you know, or when I'm at home, you know, with my acoustic is, you know, that's pretty much how I write. You know, everything is on acoustic. So and then I'll just have an idea. Sometimes, you know, I'll text, she'll text me lyrics or, you know, just I'll send her some lyric ideas or whatever, you know, and then once I get home off the road or whatever, then we kind of work it out. It's great. I'm happy that she came in and started helping me out on that part of it, you know, because I, I think for me, it would have got a little tougher for me to, you know, come up with a lot more lyrics and different ideas, you know. Right. <laughs> a, you know, musically, I, I kind of have a lot of ideas a lot of times, you know, so, yeah, so it was, it's great to have somebody, you know, that can, you know, do a lot of writing and, you know, brings a lot of ideas to the table. David Grissom was on the show, and he talked about how he he also writes on acoustic guitar most of the time. Yeah. But he f- he feels like he should spend more time writing on an electric, actually playing electric and writing on electric because that's what he plays most of the time. Yeah. Matt Schofield um, came on the show, and he talked about how playing through his full rig was one yeah. of the most inspiring <laughs> things he could do, and that that was like oh, that yeah. was just. <laughs> Can you think of any songs that you have not written on acoustic? Uh, maybe just like a, I think maybe there was like a couple instrumentals on a couple records that we did. We kind of came up with just jamming basically in a studio all together. So that was probably doing, you know, the songs that we wrote probably just were on electric. So, so yeah, those are probably the only ones, the instrumentals that I've ever written. <laughs> do you usually start writing with the guitar in your hands or do ideas, uh, musical ideas ever pop in when you're away from the instrument? Uh, yeah, I usually get an idea sometimes, you know, for a riff or something. Now it's it's really, like I was saying, we didn't have like all those, like the cell phones where you can, there's a little recorder on there, you can sing your idea in there or whatever it is, your riff idea or something, you know, and then and when you get get home or wherever, then you can figure it out, you know, so so that's that's really, really cool, you know, to be able to do that now, because back then, you know, you couldn't do it, you know, <laughs> have to wait and just get in, get in the studio and start trying to work on ideas, you know, and stuff, but right. But now you can figure a lot of the stuff out before you even, you know, get into the studio. So, which is really cool. I like that. You mentioned that you you've never wanted your albums to sound like like the last one. How do you go about about not repeating yourself? Do you set a rule? Do you define a theme for an album? How do you go about achieving that goal? Well, I think uh, working with different people. You know, given bringing in different people to work with, um, you know, help you produce it or, you know, whatever it is. I, I think with things we do, we kind of, we kind of did most of it ourselves, you know, and then, and my dad was kind of there, kind of helped us through that one <clears throat> first record. And then, uh, the second record, that's why I, I contacted, um, Doyle Bramhall senior, who's a drummer and a, and a singer and, you know, one of my favorite, favorite players and, you know, my favorite guy. So he brought a lot of, great stuff to the table on, on our second record, which was Circle. So I, I, I think it's just bringing in different guys, different people, you know, and and, uh, and I've always liked, you know, other musicians, you know, because I always feel like they bring something that you've never, 
you know, never would have thought of or whatever, you know, and, and it's always cool. Always great. I, I always feel to work with other musicians, you know, so. I think people bring in, you know, different sound ideas or different ways to record. I think on some of those, on the most recent records, I've done a lot, kind of shooting for more of a live feel, you know, in the studio. So I, I think there's a couple tracks on, on, a, on a few of the records that were cut pretty much live, you know, in the studio. I mean, that's, that's always fun, you know, trying to capture that because it's always hard to capture live sound, you know, it's always different from, you know, studio sound. So. <laughs> but I, I, I love both, you know, I, I love the, you know, being in the studio and having that opportunity to go back in there and do it again and, you know, get it right or whatever. And when you're live, you just kind of go for it. It's two different worlds, but I, I like both of them. I'm definitely thinking about doing, you know, another record here soon. So get back in the studio. So I know the last uh, three records or four records I've done was with uh, Mike Barney from Shrapnel Records, you know, because of his label, he likes it to be, you know, a certain, he kind of promotes like a lot of blues and blues rock kind of thing. So that's why for the newest record that I want to do, I think I'm going to kind of do something a lot different than those previous records, you know. About how much time would you say you spend on the road? Uh, right now it's kind of broken up a lot more. We used to be on the road all the time in the early days. Nowadays, you know, I, I tend to kind of stretch it out a little more, maybe do a week or two weeks here and then go home for a while. And then, and actually the uh, Hendrix tour that's coming up is probably going to be the longest time I'll be on the road because I think that starts the end of this month and goes to the end of March. So like a full full month tour, you know. So, <laughs> But I haven't done one of those since I was real young, so like a full month tour. It's usually been like about a week or two and then uh, I'll come home. I'd like to be home with my family. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I first saw you on the Experience Hendrix tour a few years ago in Austin, which is where I live. Yeah, And yeah, uh, cool. I read that you've been on the tour since 2002. Yeah, since we first started, I think. How did you first come to participate in it? Uh, it was actually the guy, uh, his name's John McDermott. He came to a, came to a festival where, uh, where we played. And uh, it was actually me and my brother and my sister. And then we played, and then uh, Los Lobos, and then Buddy Guy played. It was like a, mm-hmm. in a big festival out on the East Coast there, I think. I believe it was up in Boston area, which is where, uh, where John McDermott's from. And uh, I think that's kind of where I first met him. And that was probably like in 2000, maybe, something like that. And then uh, he was kind of talking about you know, the kind of things they wanted to do with uh, Hendrix and get artists to come out and play his music and kind of do like a big tour. So it's, so it's something that, you know, he's been working on for years, you know, from, from what I know. And, and then we're slowly, since about 2002, I think back then we would just do a, a show here and there, kind of like a tribute show. And all the different really cool artists would come out there and play and jam on it. Then I think probably like 2002, 2003 was when... Uh, we actually did like a, a small tour, you know, like a little run. It was like Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and then and we did a show in San Diego. And then, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was just slowly building, I think, every year. And finally, probably, I'm not sure, it was probably about 2007, 2000, yeah, probably 2007, 2008 is when they actually did like a big 20-day tour, you know. <laughs> so it was really cool. I mean, 
you know, I was just honored that, I mean, I've always kept in touch with John. He's a, he's a great guy. I mean, and, and, uh, and I, I think he's always been kind of a fan of indigenous. So, <laughs> so I, same way as I met, uh, Kenny Wayne Shepard and Noah Hunt, you know, back then on the BD King tour. And of course, knew Johnny Lang when we were first starting out. We'd been going open for Johnny and he was real young. He was like 16 years old or something. So yeah, I mean, when it has all them great players, you know, and then, uh, Doyle, Doyle Bramhall too, you know, met him and of course worked with his dad, you know, back in 2000. So, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's some great players on there, you know, it's just, it's awesome. When he pitched it to you, you know, asking you to join the, the tour or the shows at first, did he ask you to fill a specific role or, uh, and the reason I ask is that I got the sense, at least in the show that I saw in Austin, that you were kind of up there nearly the entire night. You were kind of like the rock back there. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, with Chris Layton and, and uh, I was wondering if you had a specific role to play. No, that kind of developed over the years. Back in the early days, we would, I would just go up and play like maybe two or three songs, you know. And then uh, as the years went on and the tours went on, I guess he felt like my rhythm and my, uh, you know, my back backup playing would fill up a lot of the the other artists. So you know, and you know, especially getting up and play with Billy Cox, and you know, he liked that kind of fullness, I guess, of the rhythm and what I was doing. So, so yeah, so I guess it kind of developed into that now. So I, nice. I pretty much play the whole night <laughs> with everybody. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. You mentioned Johnny Lang earlier. I read an interview with him when where he was asked to select his favorite guitar player on the tour. And he said everyone was great, but he singled you out as being the most oh, yeah. underrated. Yeah. In <laughs> all these years, what a great has there been a particular performance or a guitarist that was particularly memorable? That I played with or just overall? On the tour, like anything on, on you know, so many years of being on the tour that really stands out. I mean, I'm sure there's dozens of moments that stand out, but yeah, anything in particular? I think everybody's great because everybody brings, you know, something different, which which I love, you know. I, and being able to jam with them, you know, just all the great guitar players, they all bring something different. And, you know, I, I love everything they bring, you know. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, even if, I, even if I'm sitting outside the stage watching, I mean, it's just right. it's awesome, you know. I, I would say pretty much the whole... Just the whole idea of the tour, the way John and everybody puts it together, I, I think it's so unique. You know, it's so, uh, you know, you don't see tours like that ever, I don't think. I mean, I, at least I've, I've never seen it, you know, except for maybe back, way back when, like, uh, they had one band backing up, like, all the artists that would come out and sing, like Sam Cooke and Jackie, Jackie Wilson, and, you know, when they had their hits and they'd come out and play them, you know. Kind of like a review kind of thing, I guess they'd call it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, uh, I think just the whole, you know, the whole deal and the whole situation is pretty, pretty unique and pretty, it's really cool. Johnny's actually one of my favorites and one of my favorite guys too. So. <laughs> I can't imagine the logistics of touring with nearly 20 guitar players. The show <laughs> yeah. that I saw went off without a hitch. Is it? complete chaos backstage or are things well under control by this point it's it's uh it's probably one of the smoothest shows i've ever been on <laughs> is wow. everybody everybody's i mean every guitar everybody that plays on there and everybody's so cool man and everybody's real real down to earth and it's awesome i mean it's just a great vibe all around 
Uh, I got to hand it to John McDermott too. He's the guy that puts it all together, you know, produces it, brings in the artists, and kind of handpicked everybody to be on the tour. You know that that he he probably had relationships over the years too with you know and kind of developed you know a certain thing with everybody you know so so I I think he kind of handpicked all the handpicks you know the players that come on there and join the tour you know so and everybody's really cool I mean it's just like everybody's willing to do whatever they can uh, you know for Jimmy <laughs> you know and show show how much he influenced. <laughs> What about the mechanics of of having twenty guitar rigs and miking it all and setting it all up? Do you have twenty guitar techs and a, and fifty roadies like running around and setting everything up? <laughs> no, actually, it's a great road crew. I mean, and and uh, those guys are great, man. It's just you know, just like one sound guy kind of running the whole thing, and then uh, one monitor guy, and then uh, I, I think there's only like maybe three or four guitar techs, maybe three guitar techs. So one guy yeah. takes care of the guitars on the, on the uh, left side of the stage and one guy takes care of the guitars <laughs> on the right side of the stage. So, so yeah, I mean, we pretty much use, you know, just like two or three guitar techs and that's it. And, and they got everything together, man. I mean, they're... Yeah, that's impressive. They're, they're great, yeah. Let's uh, switch gears. Much of your music speaks about your Native American heritage and has social commentary on the, on the conditions in many reservations. I'm thinking particularly of your albums, uh, Broken Lands, My World is Gone, Time is Coming. Yeah, Has yeah. your perspective changed much over the past, say, 10 years? No, it's still the same. <laughs> the reservation, I mean, you know, everything's going on. It's like a, no, no matter what anybody says, it's like a different world than what's going on out there, you know, and, and uh, you know, what people are doing out there and, you know, in this country. So, so, and it, it it hasn't really changed at all much. It's it's probably, in fact, gotten worse, you know, as far as, like, drugs, alcohol abuse, everything, everything that goes on. I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm living here on a reservation, and I still, I still hear the, uh, the sirens and the ambulances and the cops going off, you know, probably every few hours, you know, so there's always something going on, you know, and people are never exposed to that, you know, it's more like, you're living in a city somewhere, you know, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. So it, it hasn't changed much, you know, from that. Like I said, it's, it's probably a little worse than what it, what I remember when I was a kid, you know, when I was a kid and living with my family and my mom and my dad, we grew up, you know, he, he kind of took us away from everything. So we grew up out in the country pretty much, you know, we had like horses and we had like a garden and we kind of just, really lived off the land when we were really young so all the way up until you know probably like I was 18 and you know 19 when we started touring and that's actually where we where we grew up is where we would practice and rehearse you know way out in the country so so we didn't have to worry about nobody coming around or nobody you know getting mad about being too loud or anything you know <laughs> I'm thinking of the theme of my world is gone and wondering which aspects of your culture that were still part of your day-to-day life growing up, you feel are disappearing or have disappeared? I think everything's gone as far as being, you know, just being a native in this country. I mean, everything that, you know, my ancestors have ever known, and this has gone on way before I've been, I was born, you know, so, so everything is pretty much gone. You know, everything we used to hunt, buffaloes, out, everything, 
everything is taken away, every, you know, way of life, a whole, everything that we've ever known. So right now, even though we're on a reservation, we're put here, it's basically like a concentration camp where they took the Indians to put them here so they can watch them. You know, nobody ever talks about it, but that's really what it is. That being said, everything that we've ever known, you know, everything that I've learned from my grand, you know, my grandpa or whoever my, you know, the older ancestors, I've never known because maybe just got a little piece of it a little bit because my dad always wanted to try to bring that back in, which is, you know, like having a garden, having horses and, you know, kind of living that way out in the wilderness, you know, the way it used to be. And, you know, hunting too, even, you know, so often we'd hunt, you know, and stuff. So that whole way of life that used to be what we were is gone. No matter what, you know, anybody talks about nowadays and whatever gets out there, it's not really the truth of what's really going on. So <laughs> it's just like a, you know, it's just like a small piece of what, you know, really happened and what's really going on. So, yeah, it's it's pretty sad story, but it's it's actually, it's the truth. There are many issues at hand. I mean, you mentioned uh, drug substance abuse, unemployment rates, lack of adequate housing, poor health care. Is there any one issue that's particularly particularly concerning or important to you? Well, I think all of them are important, you know, because I, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are kind of kind of have been kind of forced into that situation to where we are. Back in the day, they, they bring you here and they force you to stay. I know as far as, you know, who I am as a, you know, native and growing up the way I did, you know, we never had, people always talk about, oh, he's, there's warriors or this and that, you know, but well, we never had that in our minds and in our hearts because we, you know, there's no word for warrior or war or anything like that. So we never had that in our vocabulary. And we never had the word greed in there either, you know, so we don't know what that is. So so everything that's going on is kind of, you know, what's been brought to us and kind of put there and, and we just got to, you know, live with what it, what's what's here, you know, now. And I, I think a lot of people kind of just fall into that, you know, because it's there, I guess. And I, I never did, you know, I made a choice to do something else, you know, but I, I believe I mean, a lot of the families, even dating back to my, my grandparents, you know, or my great-grandparents, that's that's kind of what they were already into back then. You know, a lot of it was being into, you know, either either you be in church or you do this or you do that, or you got to drink or you got to do drugs or you got to do this or you got to do that, you know. So, so all of that was going on, you know, way before I was ever born. So, so it's kind of, that's why... I, I believe it's still here, and it, and it probably probably always will be, you know. <laughs> but I, I I think all of that is all tied together, you know. It's all, you know, as far as you know, the healthcare and everything else, it all it's all tied together. Do you see any any glimmers of hope? Any glimmers of light? Any any organizations that are doing good work? Any any individuals that perhaps are, are doing something that makes you somewhat optimistic about positive change coming? I think there's there's a few things and a few people that try, you know, to do the right things and do good things, but you know, it's it's extremely hard to get people to wanna come out of that or or do different things, you know, because you know, I, I think a lot of people here on my reservation, a lot of people enjoy the party life, enjoy doing what they do, you know, so it's it's like 
it really just comes down to the choice. And my only hope is, you know, I, I can only do it with my own family, you know, not let them fall off into that. Which goes back to the old days again there is where they where they came and they made the concentration camp, but then they took, they broke up the families. They made the kids go to boarding schools, at the churches, you know, the families were just left, you know, kind of broke apart. I think that's a big part of what's happening now too. I mean, you you see a lot of broken homes, a lot of broken families, and it's just not as strong, you know, it should be or it could be, you know. So what I think in my mind is that's where it's got to start, you know. It's got to start from your own home and your own family to, you know, create change or whatever it needs to be done. Try to create that in your home and, you know, pass it on to your family, you know, your kids and just do the best you can, <laughs> you know. You know, hope that it that they find their way sooner or later. But from my experiences, people my age, you know, that I went to school with, every single person that I've ever went to school with or ever hung out with and, you know, at, at schools and stuff, they're all all into drugs, all into alcohol. A lot of them have died, you know, already. And they're like my age, you know, and it's like just one of those, one of those things. And I'm sure it happens everywhere, but it's just kind of strange how it, it's such a small body of people here, you know, on, on this reservation, and it happens a lot. You mentioned uh, splitting up families and, and forcing children to go to boarding schools. If I understood correctly, that still happens? Uh, yeah, they actually still have uh, boarding schools, but they don't force them anymore, of course, like like they used to back in the, the old days. You know, like my dad was forced to go to boarding school and stuff and, you know, be at the churches. And, you know, of course, they abuse them, you know, everybody pretty much, you know, all the all of the older generation from my dad's generation have all been abused, whether it be sexually beating them, whatever it was, you know, they abused them. And he was pretty upfront about telling us that that all changed. When actually my dad became kind of into more civil rights and everything and, you know, kind of got involved with the American Indian Movement and with AIM. And so a lot of that stuff, they changed back in, you know, the 60s and the 70s. So there was no more of that. Thankfully, my dad and a lot of other, you know, natives in the whole, pretty much in the whole country got together and they said no more of this, no more of that and made a lot of changes. You know, I think that that's the whole reason why now that they they can't do that anymore. So, <laughs> but they do have boarding schools, but it's different now. You know, it's it's for uh, basically for kids that probably don't have a family. You know, a lot of their families on drugs or alcohol or sick or you know, whatever. So they so they bring them to the boarding schools and they go to school there. I have to think that beyond beyond what you're doing with your family, that the work that you do, the example that you've set, the music that you make, that it has to be an inspiration to a number of people in your community. And, and I commend you for that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I love music so much, because there's not any limits or boundaries to where it can go or where you can go with it. You could always touch people from outside of where you are, you know, which is really a beautiful thing, you know. I, and I've always, and the way I approach, you know, making music, it's always with, you know, I don't think so much about the hardships and what, what's going on. I always try to bring in the good things, you know, about, you know, the good, great feelings and whatever's going on when I'm making music or whatever, because it is great feelings, you know, and 
and you always want to pass that on to whoever gets the opportunity to hear you or listen to it. You know, I'm I'm just honored and you know actually really proud to be able to have that opportunity to do that. You know, what you're doing, I think, is it has to be helping. Mato, I I've <laughs> I really enjoyed it. speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I'm really grateful. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Good talking to you. Thank you for listening. Until next time.